Welcome to episode 14 of the First Five Podcast. I am your host, Michael Corey, and I'm joined by my co-host, Drew Gotro. And today our guest is a comedian, comedy producer, podcaster, professional DJ. His late Charles-based comedy shows have quickly become known as well-attended bangers that you definitely want to get booked on. Some people think he's Jewish. Get your ears ready for Mr. Jacob Guidry. Hello, everybody. Excited to be here. <laughs> Yeah, we don't have any sound effects. Right okay, <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know if I needed to wait. Some people do, and some, and they don't tell me. And then I go to talk, and then all of a sudden, I just hear a smooth guitar, <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, glad to be here. Thank y'all for having me out. Of course, man. You you you're like the producer in in Lake Charles, as as far as any of us know. I know you pull a lot of comedians from like your surrounding markets and you've got your Lake Charles stable and then you've got like Houston mm -hmm. and pretty much all across South Louisiana. I think I even saw some of your, um, some of the people that come to the open mics are coming from like Alexandria and, and like Ruston and Northern Louisiana and stuff like that. You've also been traveling a lot. You got a lot of stuff going on. What are some of the pros and cons to being based in Lake Charles? Uh, I would say let's start with some positives. Definitely pros is that I am two hours, like on two hours either side of me, which is I've found is like the normal basis that people will drive for for shows, uh, comics wise. I've got Houston on one side and then I've got Baton Rouge on the other. And then so, but that encompasses, there's a little bit of stuff going on in Beaumont, but then of course Lafayette, which is like, you know, the, the best spot, I believe for comedy in Louisiana, um, so it definitely, it's, it's a very, it could all you have to do is hop on I-10 and like you're there. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a very easy access. So I think that's one of the reasons why my shows have gotten, uh, to the stage that they are because of the, the quality of comedians that I can bring in. Uh, so that's, that's definitely, uh, the biggest pro, uh, something that is a pro is that it's also a con too, but it's that there was really nothing going on. So like, you know, COVID happened and then nobody was really producing shows. And I'd, I'd done four shows before COVID happened. Um, and they were just starting to grow into something. But then I got the brewery show that I do, LOL. And with that, uh, we've been able to, you know, build something, build something nice. And I've got three consistent rooms that I've been using over there. Uh, but the fact that nobody else was doing it, uh, that's a pro. But also the fact that Lake Charles kind of sucks sometimes. <laughs> so it's very uh, small. Like it's, it's very hard for people to learn about things. Uh, and if there is something new, most people are like, well, that's stupid. That's not going to be anything anyways. <laughs> so it's literally been three years and I'm just now starting. It's really cool because I'm starting to see like people consistently coming out to shows and like people knowing about it. And like, so the, the brand has built into something that people recognize and now take seriously. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's going to elevate into a new step at some point. Yeah. Jason talks about, he says it takes a, you have to, it takes a while for the audience when there's really no comedy going on and you start to get it going that they have to learn how to be a comedy you kind of have to train mm -hmm. them so it takes a while before like Lafayette's kind of good now where he, where it's been a few years and people kind of they've when they come a lot of people it's not their first show and they've attended a few and they kind of know what to expect mm -hmm. and uh and how to how to be an audience you know and you mentioned getting the word out and them finding out about what's going on so that's before they even assemble as a crowd you're already kind of like 
kind of fighting a battle of trying to get them to find out about it. What do you, where does, where are people getting their information now? Cause I just would assume social media. Yeah. Uh, social media. Uh, and for the, really the first, uh, year and a half that I was doing it, I would message personally like two, 300 people mm-hmm. before every show. Yeah. And that was like, that was really the big like curve of like, Hey, we have a comedy show. Hey, like, and so I would like try, I would do basically a sales pitch, be like, Hey, what's up? you know, Madeline, we've got a comedy show coming up and I've got these people. And like, would always have some tagline, like there's over 40 years of combined experience on this stage. Like mm-hmm. just trying to prove to people and just cold messaging them that like, Hey, this is, this is like, there's something of value here for you to come out and see. Yeah. Uh, so, but now, now I think that value has shown over the course of, I'm about to be at two years of doing the LOL show uh, next month. And so just that, that crowd, it's just like a built-in thing. It's just like the weird stages that like, I kind of learned about, um, uh, in like college of like, you know, going to business classes, whatever. I didn't learn much, but I did learn a, a couple things. Um, but a lot of that was about like building a brand and like, cause you have to overcome that. I mean, like when you hear a new idea, it's like, okay, what's that new idea? And then does that new idea have any value that I could get from it? And then overcoming those little small objections of, we don't really know what this is. Is it consistent? Is it like, what, what are we really going to be getting? Mm-hmm. And I think that it, the, honestly, the consistency of keeping things going and having uh, a steady pace of shows is what has brought about the Lake Charles comedy scene. Now, when we were trying to book you as a guest, we were trying to work around your schedule and you were traveling a lot uh, with you pulling in comedians from from neighboring markets and stuff. Is that opening up opportunities for you know, like, hey, I'm going to book you and then I can come and do your shows, too? Is, is that is that kind of like the standard thing in comedy now? Like, is it advantageous to become a producer so that you have something to offer and trade as opposed to just trying to strictly get booked based on I don't know, like reputation? Uh, it definitely helps because it puts you, I mean, if you, if you're able to put on a good show when you have somebody out, then like they want to be able to return the favor, uh, because, uh, you know, a lot of like, it's as a producer, like you, and a lot of these people that I do have out, they produce their own shows as well. So, you know, they understand like, Hey, on average, most people only come out to a comedy show one time. And so if, if it's, if you know that, then you know that, Hey, whoever I need to, whoever I'm going to book, they need to be professional they need to provide the best show possible that way we can have like we because we want to get these people to come back Mm -hmm. um so having that thought in mind that because i've had some people that like they put me on their shows and they're like hey you know i'd love to come do your show and i'm gonna be honest like i'm not gonna book them because i know that like hey this person like they're good and they're a fantastic producer but they're not exactly the best comic. So maybe when they get there, then, then, cause I, mm-hmm. I was the same way. Mm-hmm. Cause I was booking shows and then I was like, Hey man, you know, like, let me put, put me on your show. And then that didn't happen for a while because I just wasn't a good comic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, but I'd had, I've had a lot of experience of like putting events together and like, you know, getting people to come out to things. Uh, I was in a fraternity at uh, McNeese where I graduated <clears throat> and, but I did a lot of what I did was putting on events to try and recruit members or, you know, we're, we're going to have a good party. So it was like, so I studied a lot into that. Um, so knowing that it didn't, at first I was like, well, what the hell? Like I'm putting you on, but then it was like, okay, like I understand, like if I mm-hmm. go out there and I do bad on your show, then it's, it's going to look bad on me, you right. know? Uh, so, so it's, it's definitely been, uh, 
advantageous as far as like getting bookings, but I haven't waited until recently to really start using those connections to, because I know that I have a good product that I can bring to their show right. and, and have a good time. Mm -hmm. uh, and make sure that, that it's going to be a good, that they're going to want to book me again. Now you mentioned, uh, I don't know, I guess we call it statistic on average. People come to a show one time. Can you give me some more insight about what that, you're talking about audience members? Coming? Yeah. Audience okay. members. Yeah, All right. Yeah. So, so where does that, I'm, I guess not really interested in where the information came from, but how does that apply to what you're doing? You're saying that, is that about making a good first impression on the audience member to try to overcome that? Or I guess what you're, what you're trying to say is like, typically they'll come they'll they'll give it one chance like if someone goes to a show if especially if they've never been to a comedy show they're probably not a huge fan to begin with but then if they go and it's not that good they're like well they kind of i guess they would be like well i've kind of seen what this is no need to come back <laughs> you know yeah exactly. but yeah so you want to have you kind of want it to be more than them to be like oh holy shit this is actually like a really good show yeah. And then they could, I was the first time I ever saw, like I wasn't aware of like any, that they had local comedy. Any, I didn't know about any of these scenes. And when I first found out about Lafayette comedy and I think I went watch like a stone drunk sober or something first before I went to any, watch any open mics or anything. And I watched a, a stone drunk sober. And I remember I was like, Oh, Holy shit. Like these, you know, I would watch a lot of, watch and listen to a lot of comedy and like the professional scale mm -hmm. i had never seen like a local scene and when i saw it i was like damn th these are these are fucking comedians here you know i thought it was gonna be amateur hour and then i was blown away you know mm -hmm. so, so is it really more about how easy it is to to make a bad first impression on a new uh somebody who's given it a shot for the first time i think so man i uh so I'll be, I'm really glad you're not going to ask me where I got that information from. Cause I don't remember. <laughs> uh, but I remember hearing like some, I heard it on like a podcast where like, you know, comedians were talking, maybe it was Joe Rogan, maybe it was Burt Crash. I don't remember somebody, but, uh, cause I, it, I, but I thought about that. And so I use that as my mindset and I, cause I hope that I feel that dude, I am fucking up all of my words this morning. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, uh, I just, but I use that as a mindset to say, okay, if this is really the statistic, how can I ensure that people are going to have a really good first time? Because I'll have people show up to shows and like, you know, they won't know something's going on. And this happened recently, uh, maybe a month ago. And the lady walked up with like, she had four of her friends and uh, they were like, all right, like we're coming into this bar like we normally go into. And the lady was like, hey, there's a comedy show tonight. There's a cover. And she goes, comedy? No, I went to one of the comedy shows that they've had here before. And like, it fucking sucked. And I was like, what show was it? And she was like, it was some show like four years ago. And so like, she's just never going to go to another comedy mm -hmm. show. Right. And I was like, that's not even us. Like right. people, and I'll have people comment on the Facebook thing too. Like, oh, I remember when y'all did shows here, these shows sucked. And I'm like, that's not even me. Like I didn't even, <laughs> like that was four or five years ago. Like give it another chance, you know? Yeah. But it's weird, man. People get that first impression. Then after that, they're just like, nah, fuck it. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Well, they had someone I read the uh, just out of boredom. I was reading the reviews on Club 337 mm -hmm. where Jason produces a lot of shows. And someone wrote this big old long thing that they just contacted him because at Club 337, like you can rent it out. Like we did a... Uh, a family reunion over there a couple mm -hmm. years ago. We rented out and we had a uh, 
like all our family was in there. So they wanted to rent it out. And they said that they were at first 337 was like, oh, yeah, cool. What, you know, what y'all want to use it for? And they were like, uh, and they said they wanted to put on a comedy show. So then they were like, oh, well, they pretty much told them no, because they said we have a comedy producer that put shows on here already. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to, if you want to do a comedy show, you have to kind of work it out with them and all. And then they said, well, okay, it's not for comedy. And they're like, we already told us it is, (laughs) so we can't rent it. And they were all upset about it. But I was like, well, yeah, I get it. If, If someone comes see a show over here. You know, we have a producer doing shows regularly. If they just let some random person come do a show and someone comes, they're not going to understand because that it's the same place, that it's not the same people putting on the shows. You know, like, why would you assume you would kind of assume it's the same people putting on all these shows? Mm -hmm. So they're like, yeah, we can't have somebody just come over here, do some garbage show. And then whoever comes see it won't come back to any of our shows because right. they think it's all the same people, you know? Exactly. These they could have be no pe- idea. These could be people trying to put on a comedy show, and none of them have ever done comedy before. Mm-hmm. There's a, a lot of that going around. There is. <laughs> yeah, it's just general audiences are not... I mean, none of, we're just not that sophisticated. <laughs> yeah. Know, like, if I, if I didn't know... But also then like once you get on the inside, you realize like, okay, so, so some local cover band sucks. So you're not going to go see Michael Jackson, you know, like that. It's just yeah. the, the idea that they just get so burned on something. Uh-huh. So, and then they make such broad assumptions, but it's true. And, and you, you end up having to do something about that. So you mentioned that you came, that you, you were in a fraternity. Mm-hmm. I could see how that could really, and then you studied business. Yeah. All right. So that that all makes a lot of sense of how you've you just walked into building a comedy scene in like Lake Charles with with some some serious advantages and, and some tools on your tool belt. But what about creatively? Did you come from like a what kind of creative things did you do before you got into comedy? Anything in particular? Uh, Man, <clears throat> I did. I had started my own company in mm-hmm. uh, college. I had done, it was called Thicket. It was wooden watches and wooden sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not as far as being creative with the product, but I was creative with like the marketing of it. Gotcha. Like I've always enjoyed like making people laugh. Mm-hmm. So like in, in high school, I did a lot of, uh, I was always good at impressions. Me and mm-hmm. my brother would sit there and watch Austin Powers for like days on end in yeah. middle school. And so well, we would just do all of the voices. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I'd always like, and I grew up watching mafia movies. So I'd always, you know, like do all the voices, uh, you know, and you're talking to me, man, you know, just like, so just like anything. Mm-hmm. And so that we would just quote movies. And so, but I always enjoyed like making people laugh because they understood the reference to the character. And so I would like dress up as like Austin Powers and go to, you know, probably inappropriate for high school, but you know, I did. <laughs> and, uh, and so, but they would always ask me like, Hey, we've got like this seminar thing coming up or whatever. I helped teach sex ed in uh, high school. I was like, look, what if we did this? Right. You, but you were in high school. Yes. I was in high school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. like going back and like, Hey, I want to, you know, I want to teach a few things. Yeah. You know? I've never had uh, more confidence in the public school system than yeah. I do now. Bit of a red flag. Like, yeah. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. This was last month. The man. reason uh, for sex ed is so kids won't learn sex from other children right <laughs> that's the whole purpose of it 
All right, so you, so okay, so you yeah, had, saw <laughs> that is so funny. So, yeah, man, just shit like that, you know. But they would always like if they wanted to make something fun, they would be like, "Hey, Jacob, like, what do you, what do you think would make this funny?" And I'd be like, "Ooh, that's good." So I would always get my gears rolling. So we, we, I would do like a skit or something to kind of like in between sessions if we had like a school lock in or something. I was in trouble all through sex ed for trying to make stuff funny. Right. That, that was the first day they were like, "Don't laugh at at vagina." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they were taking it a little too seriously. Yeah, I man. actually think it's kind of cool that, that somebody yeah. wanted to. You know, hey, how how can we make this more entertaining? And you you were able to kind of step up. Yeah. And and so that was kind of okay. So you you do have sort of a performance art background. It was just in some really interesting. <laughs> very context. yeah, it was very yeah. yeah very niche stuff. You know so. <laughs> Yeah, but I've, I've always enjoyed just being up in front of a crowd, you know, writing speeches uh, and just entertaining people. So that's and I've, I've, I've done that a lot through social media, creating like videos like the Jacob Talks videos that I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are cringy, I'm going to be honest, but some of them I'm like, I'm just having fun <laughs> out on the street interviewing people and catch like I called this one girl. She was like, I was like, what is an artist that you can't stand that everybody else loves? And she was like, uh, I don't like SZA. And I was like, okay, uh, what about rock or paper? Do you think they're better? <laughs> and she was like, it took her a second. She was like, you're making me look like an idiot. And I was like, I'm just asking, you know, but it's just like little, little quick things like that. I just love the wordplay and, and, you know, and how long have you laugh. been doing that thing? That That's like a, uh, it's kind of like a news desk, but also like man on the street kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, those are both, that's part of the same uh, project right yes. like that. okay mm-hmm. so how long have you been doing that i've been doing that since uh january since the actually it was the december lol that was the first time that we did it i'd put on i put on a holiday market every year called mm-hmm. the last stop christmas shop mm-hmm. and me and my i got my buddy to come film it and he was like dude let's get like some interviews with some people and so i had a friend of mine she was there and i, I forgot what i asked her i asked her something but it turned into like, oh, so like, you're going to buy that for me when I take you home tonight? And she was like, <laughs> oh, maybe. And he was like, dude, this is funny. We should do this. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of where that came from. Now, is that primarily on TikTok or do you, do you use a particular platform or is it just everywhere? Dude, I have found right now TikTok is pushing a lot of longer form content and that stuff's just not. Uh, but they're also TikTok's at a weird stage to where they're really investing in the creators that they already have. Mm-hmm. And so like, but dude. 2020 that was perfect time to get in um but now like instagram and facebook and Mm -hmm. youtube they're all trying to fight tiktok and their algorithm and everything so they're pushing the small content creators Mm -hmm. and the shorter clips uh so i've had humongous success on facebook and uh instagram some of those reels that i'll post have like you know they'll get tens of thousands of views on them and then like, but it's weird, like Facebook, I'll get like 20 likes on the post, but it'll have 10,000 views. And I'm like, that's, that should not be happening. But yeah. Facebook's just been pushing all of it out. So I don't even have TikTok because I've found that anything worth seeing is going to make its way to Instagram. Like Instagram, there's a bunch of TikTok video. Like every time mm-hmm. my wife shows me something on TikTok, I'm like, I saw that on Instagram already. Yeah. You know, so it's why I have two of this. I feel like I would be seeing the same shit. On two different things. Pretty much, yeah. Whenever I see like uh, 
Christina P. Like when she's on any one of the many podcasts that she does, I feel like I get enough TikTok from her. Yeah, that too. Yeah, <laughs> the curated TikTok stuff. Yeah, I feel like if I did it myself, I would just totally go down a rabbit hole. So I kind of like the idea of there being a yeah. barrier, <laughs> and I get to see those videos without it being on my digital record. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Come on, fellas. We all know what happens when we put our shit in privacy mode and uh, uh, click that unlock button for the screen rotation. <laughs> right. So you also produce, you provide DJ services. How does that fit into the the plethora of things that you do? Man, I really wanted to buy some speakers for the comedy show so I could stop paying people for them. Uh, so uh, my buddy was like, you know, him and his brother have, uh, his younger brother's a fantastic DJ. I'm not really a DJ. I can play some music, but mm-hmm. as far as like mixing and all of that stuff, I can do little bits. Yeah. Uh, but so I was like, okay, this would be, you know, a cool investment. Plus, you know, I could still make some, because you make very good money DJing. Right. Um, and it's another thing where you're just like, you're in control of the crowd and you're like, mm-hmm. like, you're the center of attention, which mm-hmm. is pretty narcissistic of me to say. But we, as comedians, uh-huh. we love being up there on stage because oh, we get yeah. all the attention, baby. That's right. So, do, do you try some short form jokes in between songs? Absolutely not, man. Uh-huh. That's I have found comedy doesn't really mesh well with other it does experiences. Yeah. And it's and but people that's one of the things that pisses me off the most is because people are like, oh, you just tell some jokes in between this. Like, it's not going to work, man, because it's a mm-hmm. whole different mindset. It's a whole different everything. And that's, I've had troubles with venues in the past. You're like, well, we're going to keep the music playing. We're like the pool tables are going to stay open or the TV's got to mm-hmm. stay on. And I'm like, that's ruins the whole point of what we're doing. And then what are those people? They're going to think I spent this money for this comedy show and it fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, why would I ever come back yeah. and waste my money on this? I don't even like a TV on with the football game muted. Dude. No, even with the sound off, with it's the degenerate gamblers we have in yeah. Louisiana. Absolutely. And then not. you also get the thing too, of like you said, where it's, they have all this going on and it makes the show suck. And everyone's like, yeah, this comedy show sucks. And then you have people that if you have all this other stuff going on too, mm-hmm. then they're kind of like, man, this comedy shit is kind of annoying me right now. I'm trying to play pool. Or I'm trying exactly. to watch this game. And this guy's up here talking about his dick. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Everyone's like, oh, they're always talking about their... They, we do. We talk yeah. about our penises quite yeah, that's a lot. What, whenever yeah. uh, I'd have like, like guy friends who like certain female comedians, they wouldn't like. And they were like, yeah, I don't like when, you know... Like, she just talks about her pussy. I'm like, dude, have you watched any male comedian? They all talk about their dick. Like, why wouldn't... I mean, if, if yeah, the jokes aren't good, I could see that. But, like, why wouldn't she talk about her vagina? We can't stop... Even when we try not... We try not to. Like, some jokes just end up being dick jokes. Yeah. We should talk about pussy more, guys. I think that... Yeah, maybe we should. Yeah. yeah let's, it's it's gonna reverse it, you know? I don't even think I have any jokes with the word pussy in them. I don't either. I, uh, we, we need to step it up. Yeah, I think so. We need to step it up. Yeah, I've got a lot of pussy in my jokes. Uh, it's just a different context. I think. <laughs> All right, no yeah. need to brag. <laughs> I don't think that was a brag. No, that was definitely <laughs> I think that was, he was unloading. That's what he was doing. Whoa. Can you wait till we leave to start unloading? I'd appreciate that. 
Now, do you, I know you're on a, a few podcasts because I've, I've been seeing some of the ones you're promoting and you're here, but do you host a podcast as well? I do. It's uh, called Sawyer Saloon. I haven't, I'm just terrible at keeping up with it mm-hmm. uh, because I got, I want to do video with it because I really, I want the clips. Right. Um, and so I do it with my buddy, Corey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just, I haven't been able, my little brother's like my cameraman now that he's out of school. Yeah. Uh, he's got, you know, all kind of work and stuff. So I just haven't really nailed down anything to get it going. But it's one of those things like I just, if, you, if you're consistent with something like what y'all are doing, y'all are crushing it, mm-hmm. by the way, Thank with you. this podcast, like, like everybody's talking about it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, but the consistency is what, mm-hmm. that's what's going to win over anything else. And so I hate that whenever I'm not consistent on something that I want to be, because I know it is good. Um, and that could lead to something. So mm-hmm. yeah, I do have a podcast. I'm just not consistent with it. Yeah. We've been reluctant to move this over to a video podcast because I actually came from a video production background professionally before I started doing any sort of podcast. Mm-hmm. And I, I dabbled with a podcast that I was doing. It was like a mental health podcast. This was all you guys listening. Can't see this, but we're in the room where I did my video podcast and there's basically, there's still a whole set from it that's just sitting here. Uh, I was wondering. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what that was all for. This chair used to be over there, but but anyhow, the the the, the point of it being that the literal bandwidth of, of having to deal with just getting the video into an editor, uh, getting all that stuff produced, and then uploading it, and having a place to store all that stuff. There's just so many logistic things, and it's the clips. That's what I feel mm-hmm. like would would really help this podcast to grow is if mm-hmm. we did video for no other reason than just to be able to have some of the better moments. Yeah. And I think when people are not. Uh, or I guess I'm speaking for myself, really. But like if you're not like doing something else where you're like listening on headphones or driving in a vehicle, if I'm at home. I'll sometimes it's like, oh, I want to catch up on podcasts it's nice to sit down and watch it like a talk show Mm -hmm. because especially like I like to hang out outside and when I'm, I like to listen to a pocket, like I don't like to scroll Facebook or anything. So my neighbors will walk around and if I'm I'm just sitting there like staring at the cement (laughs) for an entire two hour podcast. It feels weird. So Mm -hmm. if I have something I can watch on a screen, it's not, you know what I mean? I can yeah. give it all my attention. <laughs> They're just like, this guy's going to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. I love that you consider like what your neighbors might think when you're making your entertainment decisions. <laughs> you know, like the idea of like, well, if they watch me, if they're watching me and I'm just staring at the ground, it just makes me feel weird. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know. Like that's, I get where you're coming well, from. I feel but- like if I, if like I caught a glimpse of my neighbor, I'd kind of have to do a double take and be like, what the fuck are they doing? You know? <laughs> It would, especially if they can't even if like they can't hear it in their yard, and they just see me sitting on the back patio, like not doing any, not looking at anything, not looking at my phone, not reading a book or like doing an action. I'm just sitting there, where they'd be like, "Man, what's this? What's going on with this guy?" You know? Yeah. I, I th- yeah. <laughs> Like our neighbor's Lizzie Borden. I don't know what's going on over yeah, here. It's but, freaking me out. But I think, dude, like the video thing is nice. But like Michael was saying, we have a lot, we had a lot of stuff to work out. And we'd rather just, at the time, we we're like, let's just get this podcast started. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was good too, because it's not that easy to do at, in the beginning. When you first start, it, it's 
very unnatural. You want to kind of think about what you're saying. So it was kind of bumpy. We had to edit a lot. I find we're not having to edit as much, really. Mm-hmm. We're kind of getting better at the episodes flowing. But if you add video to that, dude, it's, and with the yeah. editing, you have to edit the video, too, and make everything match. It would have, you know, I think it'll be an easier thing to do whenever the podcast, where we're not really having to cut anything out. And you just, you know what I'm saying? If yeah. you have a video and audio mm-hmm. that's not really being messed with, other than you putting them together, mm-hmm. it would be, it would seems like it would be so much easier than how it's been in the past. It's very true. But then, if nothing else, since we're not, we don't have the 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 crew, um, I would definitely have to go back and do all the camera switching and try to do creative. Cuts. Right. Yeah. You know, and I've I found that doing that in the past, like I'll I'll produce somebody like a multicam video that's only ten minutes of talking head. And the number of switches that I have to go and do and then go back and fine tune the transitions. Like, oh, I, just one word too soon. If I would have cut that to the next other camera angle and changed it. It's just a lot of things to consider. Mm-hmm. And lighting. I'm real big on lighting. And so this already feels a little cramped to me. So if I had to then turn around and put like five tripods with, I'm going to cut mm-hmm. all this out, by the mm-hmm. way. But if I had to like, you know, have all the cameras on tripods and lights on tripods, it would just, we would very quickly you know, run out of room. Um, well, I, th- I, I want to touch on that because all of that, like what y'all are saying is mm-hmm. very important and people don't realize that. Mm-hmm. I've had so many people who've come like, dude, we should, we should do this. Like we should make mm-hmm. this kind of video. And I'm like, okay. Oh, I get hit with that all the yeah. time from people about the video where they're like, y'all should be doing video. Y'all should be doing yeah. video where it's like, you don't think we want to do, we would rather do video also. Mm-hmm. Of course we'd want to do video and hopefully we do. Yeah. But, uh, we need some, let's, Get some other things going first, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is, I mean, it's like, okay, so you want to do this big project where we do like this prank video or we do whatever. <laughs> it's like, okay, how are you getting all of that together? Where are we going to do it at? Who's paying the videographer? Who's going to pay to edit it? Like you're mm-hmm. looking at like money yeah. to like do it. And that's what a lot. And then they go, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't, I figured we, you know, we could just do it for fun, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, well, I don't, <laughs> you don't have time for that. Yeah. You know? There's a lot of like, equipment and labor involved mm-hmm. in this. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's, and like, and like you were saying, like the, like the, when the talking head video, like you got to cut it. Like I watched a video about Mr. Beast and like this dude, like, like reviewed Mr. Beast videos and like he has it down to a science. How long is your first opening thing? Do you do an intro? Do you like, when is your first cut? When do you do your second cut? When do you introduce like the plot of the video? Like it's all like finely tuned because people are just going to tune out if you don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now putting that level of thought into it. Um, I mean, obviously, he he. There had to have been years in there where he was producing quality content, but the level of effort that he was the 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 lift was so heavy for a while there, you know, relative to how much attention he was getting and and how 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 much money there was to be made doing it. So I'm, I imagine he had to sustain that level of care, and he learned as he went. I would imagine as well, because he's like the biggest YouTuber in, in the on the planet, right? Yeah, and Mr. he's Mr. my age. He's only 24. Yeah, and, and he's done some absolutely staggering, amazing things. But there just had to be a time when he was putting all that effort in and not getting what he's getting now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I don't think a lot of people, like you mentioned, the people that casually come up with ideas, they're like, we should do this. And they just don't realize 
the minute you say, okay, well, that probably would cost us about $30 to do. Are you down for that? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I didn't. $30, like I could have gone, gone <laughs> yeah, eat I thought we that. were buddies. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that too. Now, uh, we saw some rumblings today, uh, really this week. Uh, are you still in that chat from the Keenan Presents um, mm-hmm. thing? Okay, so uh, we saw some people that we know are doing another show that they're putting on. Uh, for those of you that haven't been keeping up with the podcast, we've we've mentioned Keenan Presents before. Uh, Keenan Thompson, the the guy from SNL and everything else you guys know him from. Uh, there's a team uh, that are using his name with his permission, but I just don't know how involved he is in it. Uh, to do this show where they go around and they put on um, shows and they get local comics to come and and bring their friends and and people out and they do a show. And then the idea is, oh, you'll do this show. And then whoever wins this competition will move on to some other thing and some other thing. Well, we've been seeing some of our friends recently got invited to go do a thing in Atlanta. And there's a lot of confusion about like, well, how did they get on it? And is it a good idea to go and do and I'm just curious, how much are you paying? Because you've got a lot going on. How much attention are you paying to this new Atlanta opportunity? And and what do you, what are your thoughts on it? Because I know we've got some people that are skeptical and some people who are open to it. Yeah, um, I saw it because I got I'd gotten the email about it, but the way that they worded the email, it's just it's I don't think it's a continuation of the first one that we all did it seems like it's just like its own thing. Mm -hmm. And it was like, Hey, if you want to sign up for this, then you can. Um, so it's funny because I'm pretty sure there were some people who were like, I don't, I don't understand why, you know, this person got invited and I didn't get invited, whatever. I don't think that's what it was. I think it was just like, Hey, this is another thing that we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if these people are paying to do this or whatever the case is, but I mean, fuck it. If you want to get on, get on another stage, get on another stage. Mm -hmm. Um, if you think that's going to better you, then go ahead and do it. You know, yeah. that's just, this is kind of my view on it. Um, I don't, I don't see the point in, uh, if you, if you, if you've got a good set and you're going to go up there and you're going to, and you believe you're going to go do a good show, I think that's really the only thing that should matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, especially at the point where we are, cause none of us are really like, you know, we can't like, it's going to take a while for us to get it to the point where like we do this for a living. We're making a killing of money, whatever. Right. Uh, at that point, then you got to, you know, there's some other factors that need to go into it. But as far as, you know, where we're at, you got to be able to, I think the main thing that everybody should focus on is like, how can I be a better comic? If maybe going and doing this stage and getting in front of these other people, maybe what just, I would just go do it. If you, if you want to go do it and then see like what's something positive you could find from it. And then if there's something negative, what can you learn from it? So just take it as like a cool experience. Like, dude, fuck yeah. I went to Atlanta and I did a show for mm-hmm. Keenan Thompson and right. did this. Like it was a cool experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was a little skeptical. And then I saw Jamie, Jamie Ward. Uh, he he made the comment that, hey, I, I personally know about this club and the guy that runs this club. So don't worry about Keenan. Just go over there and do this show. And maybe if you can make a connection and press the right person, it'll open up a new market for you to go. Exactly. Yeah. And him personally, he's from there. Mm -hmm. So him make, he can get more out. He'll get more out of a trip to Atlanta than just go and do a little spot. He's going home. Mm -hmm. He'll probably see some people he hasn't seen in a while and, and all that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I can see a lot of, I can see a lot of reason for him to go to want to do it, you know? Yeah. And honestly, I, like what you had said, like that's, yeah, Jamie's got a lot of reason to go back for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamie's a good dude. I like Jamie. Shout out Jamie. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but then also like what you were saying, like there, there's been countless times where I've gone and done a show and it's like, like at the show I went and did in Austin, I drove five hours there for 10 minutes and I drove five hours back. Slept on a futon that's three quarters my size. <laughs> my back, <laughs> back still hurts. Uh, but it was like, I did that show. But that's what I'm saying. Like, make sure, just make sure that you're going and doing the best that you possibly can because you never know what's going to come out of it. Right. Is what yeah. I should have said to finish it. Because I've gotten more bookings, more connections made, more, pe- more people that I think would be good fit for my shows. Uh, so it's like, dude, take the risk, go for it because you never know what's going to come out of it. Yeah, you got way more than just a 10-minute spot out of it. Exactly. Out of that yeah. one trip. I think the most important thing that we can do right now is like like I've lost a good bit of money as far as like, you know, putting on shows or doing whatever. And sometimes, you know, I don't – but it's – you're building like your brand about comedy. And so like – but I think that's going to lead you further and that will you'll be able to leverage that more in the long run. Mm-hmm. Uh- now this is a bit of a gear shift. Uh, you you run some open mics and, and some book shows in the Lake Charles area. Some of the rumblings, I don't know all the Lake Charles comics that well. I've had really positive interactions with all of them the few times that I've bumped into them. I've heard some rumblings about how the Lake Charles comics, um, they'll go and they'll get on the book shows, but they don't do the open mics as much. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've been to the... The, the what was the name of the venue that was a pan, panorama yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, I went to that one a bunch of times i have a very good feeling having gone to your the open mic you're doing at ob's mm-hmm. um and i've seen chase out there uh he seems he's supporting that one pretty consistently Dude, right? chase has been there every single yeah. week and and I, I gotta say um the the set that i've seen him doing lately i saw him get up and do it at station i saw him do it at ob's and he's it, it made me feel really good to hear Chase speaking positively about his own comedy on like a social media post recently. Mm-hmm. Cause like his, his shtick is like, I, you know, I suck at this, you know, like that he's always kind of yeah, down on himself. That's what we were talking about him the other day. And I was like, that guy, I think he's a lot funnier than he thinks he is mm-hmm. unless, or maybe that's just a, a shtick he's doing and it's going over my head, but it's, I don't know. I was like, I don't, it doesn't seem like he knows how funny he is. Because I think he's hilarious. I agree. I agree. I think he's gotten uh, he had he had stopped he had stopped doing comedy for like a couple months. He just got kind of you know busy with you know life, and then uh, but once he came back, once we started doing the the OB's mic and everything, like he's just been hitting it consistently. And I think maybe that break just like kind of triggered something in him because mm-hmm. like this is the best I've ever seen him do. And he's every every time that I've had him booked, he is just absolutely crushing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very proud of him for that man. He is doing phenomenal. Very funny guy. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I think, it's like going back to what you were talking about and like the rumblings. I think uh, so. We've I've I've put on several different open mics in Lake Charles, and none of them have been very consistent. But now the place that I have at Ob's. The guy who runs it is very into helping out and making sure that the shows go well because he cares about it. Me and him have a personal relationship because I used to do all the stuff in my fraternity back there. And that was where I did my very first comedy show at. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's it's different when the venue cares about what's mm-hmm. going on. And it's not like, yeah, y'all just do whatever. And then or they don't help out or they don't mm-hmm. promote or whatever. Mm-hmm. So the fact that 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 mixed in with like. I love doing stuff at that venue is 
it's just like the perfect storm. And I think it's creating the perfect opportunity for people to come out and be consistent with their open mic. I, do we, we mm-hmm. had only had one guy come out for the panorama mics who'd like never done comedy before. Mm. I literally have three or four new people every week. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've noticed Which that. has been fucking fantastic. Yeah. I'm like, where are you guys all coming from? But it's just like the perfect place to do it at. Mm-hmm. So I think that that, is really going to help because then, because the other comics were consistent with it because, and I'll be honest, like I wasn't consistent with the open mics I was running at the other places because I knew the venue didn't care, mm-hmm. made me kind of not care. Mm-hmm. But here it's like, okay, like we're all taking this seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like revamping the energy. And so the, a lot of the comics have been out to pretty much almost every single open mic that we've done there. Yeah, the panorama, it's like they wouldn't, they wouldn't let their regular clientele know that this thing was happening, it felt mm-hmm. like. And then once it would be happening, they wouldn't they wouldn't have the comedy shows back as far as like like backing us up on crowd control. Right. You know what I mean? People would talk as loud as they want. They wouldn't tell them anything. They would even sometimes the bartender, if someone spoke loudly to the bartender, the bartender would then speak loud. <laughs> yeah. Would like match their volume too, instead of being like, shh, all right, what do you need? You know what yeah. I mean? Like other places, and I've noticed that OBs, oh, that dude over there goes around telling people to shut up. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's only it's only happened a few times, but still, like you like having that is is important. Yeah, because it sucks when you're the comedian having to go tell people to shut up, and then you go on stage, right. and then you're so you need that separation mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because if someone's being loud or anything, as a comedian, it's like it is our job to control that. But it's so much harder if someone's being loud or being an asshole. If they don't think the venue's going to back you up, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard. It makes your job really hard, especially if they're just if, being an asshole. Right. You know, <laughs> where they they don't care if. Uh, like, they don't they don't really care if you're talking shit to them or whatever, even if you could put them in their place if they're just being an asshole. That's not enough. Some people don't. The idea that I could get thrown out of here is just a little bit of help you need to to help you get them under control, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've um, I've been hearing a lot uh, from the Baton Rouge comics about like one of their sort of mainstay venues in Baton Rouge does weekly open mic. There's this person that's been showing up that used to be, um, I guess, kind of had their their life together a little bit more. And and now it's just like this elderly person or somewhat, you know, kind of boomer age person um, who is just real bad off. And they're coming to the mic every week and being really disruptive. And so now every week when they come to our mics and they tell us stories, they're basically just telling every story starts off. Well, so and so was being really loud and disruptive. And here's how I played off of it to get a laugh or here's how somebody else played off of it to get a laugh. And then, you know, we had our mainstay uh, venue for our open mic in Lake Charles. Uh, they recently basic the, the people that own the venue pretty much got rid of their entire bar staff and are now they're they're tending. Oh, the no, not like Lake Charles. Charles. No, no, not yet. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, okay. yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, I didn't hear about that. <laughs> yeah. No, no. So so I get, what I'm say, seeing is a trend uh, with um, people doing comedy and having to deal with very loud and disruptive people. I've, I've heard a lot of really great stories about the OB mic so far. And the only thing that I've heard about it that anybody said that that isn't ideal is that there are, you know, typically somebody shouting out, somebody had a bad set because somebody was 
you know, being disruptive during their show or something like that. And, and you really nailed it, uh, Drew, because it's you, I, I got up. I, the only time that I got up, uh, at OB's, uh, as soon as I got up, the people that went up before me didn't have very good sets. And when I got up, I was just blown away at how loud people were talking as I was coming up on stage. I did not handle it well. I felt like my set kind of went in the gutter and then I felt like shit for the rest of the night. But it is up to the comic primarily to have the skill set to be able to deal with something not really going their way. It's absolutely true what you're saying that having mm-hmm. the, the the venue on your side on that is super cool. But I think that ultimately you do have to have that. That's got to be the second most important thing. I would almost you got to be funny. And then you got to be able to deal with situations that are not ideal while you're trying to perform. Yeah. And I think it's important to say too, like I'll, cause I was there with that set you're talking about. And every now and then, you know, I'll have things kind of, I'm things going well, like my sets are going well. And every now and then I'll need something like that, whether, I mean, it was kind of cool cause it happened to him instead of me. And I got to learn <laughs> from his experience but seeing it, it made me realize, like, bring me about, bring me to realize how much I'm still learning because they had like a couple people went up. The crowd was really hot and they had a couple people that didn't, they weren't doing so great and they kind of lost the crowd's attention. Mm-hmm. So they started talking real loudly. And when Michael got up, they had these people were talking and he's trying to do a set. And I remember thinking to myself, like, Man, he needs to do he needs to do something about these people right here. He needs to get them under control. And then I remember thinking to myself, do what? And I was like, well, he needs to say something. And then I remember thinking to myself, and say what? What's yeah. he supposed? If I was up there, what would I say? And I was thinking, like, man, I don't know what I would do. I would know I need to do something, but I don't. I think if it, if I had been in that same spot he was in, it probably would have went the same way for me, you know? And then what ends up happening is then you're thinking about this and you, it gets overwhelming and then it kind of fucks up the rest of your performance. You know, you're not really doing the jokes right. Cause you're thinking about these fucking people over here, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was like, a, I kind of, it was a learning experience for me, even though I wasn't on stage where it was like, I need to spend some time thinking about a lot of these things. Like what to, what should I do in these situations, you know, mm-hmm. or like at least try to figure out and how to read the room. Cause it would probably be different, you know, cause if you, you do, if you say the wrong thing and you go after them, the audience could take their side. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? The other, you could end up turning everyone else who is on your side against you too. You know, it's so it's a thing I really need to be thinking about. Now, Jacob, you seem like you have um, a very light and positive vibe pretty much all the time when you're on stage and I don't I'm off stage too, I would think. And so I'm just curious, do you ever do you find that people are more or less likely because of your overall kind of light, positive kind of vibes to be more apt to listen to you or maybe more apt to challenge you? Like do you, the whole psychology of it, do you think that plays in at all? That's an interesting question, man. Uh, the only time that I have actually really thought about that is whenever I go, like the past few times that I've been to like Austin, because I've noticed like what's the typical kind of crowd that they get over there. Actually, there's another thought too, but that, so like over there, there's a lot of like Austin comics are very dark. 
Mm-hmm. And so, but that's just like, like they're all consistently like that. And so whenever I get up there and my stuff is not that dark, it's more mm-hmm. playful and it's more, you know, like you said, lighthearted, that I think it, it can appeal to the crowd a bit more because there's such a contrast between me and the other mm-hmm. comics. Um, I think it's, you know, we all hear like, you got to find your character, like mm-hmm. being on stage. And after doing it for three years, I think I've kind of figured out what my character really is because for a while there, I was like, I know I'm a very lame person. Right. I'm just lame as fuck. Right. The dad jokes and like all that stuff. Like, it's just, it's kind of like, like, but it's still like, it's still funny. Okay. Yeah. But so, so I see it as being like a, but be confident in yourself, even though you are a goofball. Yeah. Lean and into who you are. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. As opposed to being like, be a goofball. I'm going to be like, nah, I'm sorry. Like, I'm just kidding. Like I used to do that. And like, cause I thought that that would get laughs and then it didn't. And I was like, I don't understand what I'm doing wrong. And then I was like, but if I be confident in it, and then still pull it away and like, yeah, I kind of I understand. Like, that's not, it's not the coolest thing, but it's, you know, it's still pretty fucking cool. You know, it's just like, <laughs> just having that attitude about it mm-hmm. uh, has definitely uh, helped me out as far as like just delivering my material and everything. So, yeah, I think it does. I think it is a positive for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing, I guess, like you, well, that goes back to a recurring theme that I think we have on, on the pod so far is, is dealing with the things you can control and letting go of the things that you can't. Uh, We were talking about that pretty heavily in recent episodes. And it is just, you you know, when you go into uh, a new market or you just go travel to a gig, uh, if you're, if you are in stark contrast to, to all the other comics that are up there, what are you going to do? If, if you have a defined thing is you, you, cause you're, you said you found your character. So you, it's definitely more locked in and concrete than it was before. So if you go up there, you're not going to shift gears and be like, all right, let me pull out you know, all of my child molester material or whatever. Right. You know, you're not going to go hard on some dark stuff just to fit in with everybody else. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, you just have to focus on what you can control. And like you were saying, like you were watching me up there struggle with that scenario, Drew, and you were like, well, what would I do? And you, and you don't know yet. You can have some kind of some, maybe some formulaic things in your back pocket to pull out. But ultimately, I think your your improv skills yeah. uh, is, is what's going to get you out of that. Yeah. You know, speaking from experience. Absolutely. <laughs> Do y'all ever get nervous before y'all get up on stage? Every time. Not to get too sexual. but Yeah. Yeah, every time. <laughs> I'm a nervous wreck every single time I get up on stage. And the only thing that makes me feel any better uh, is booze has nothing to do with it. I've found the only thing that makes me feel any better is prep work. Like mm-hmm. literally you see this little PA stack behind me. I will sit here with a microphone plugged in and I will, nice. I will just run my bits, which doesn't help me. There's definitely some things that won't help me with, but it, it definitely helps me to just be able to deliver my material on autopilot so that I can free up as mm-hmm. much mental, um, resources to deal with all of the uh the unexpected things but but other that's the only thing that makes me yeah even less if, nervous yeah and it might just help because not to, like it might just help because if you do it then once you do it and you leave and you go to the open mic or the gig or wherever you're going you're not thinking i should have did that the whole time you know what i mean right. so even if regardless of how much it actually helps mm-hmm. i think just that it probably helps just for that little bit that you like because you're the type of dude as like i didn't do my work you know what i mean you were right. like that's really what you're worried about is like i didn't do I, I'm, I'm not gonna do well because i didn't do the work 
if I ever have a bad set, but I did the prep, I can walk off stage and be like, I'm good. I'm not in this super dark mental headspace after. But when I get up there and humiliate myself and I know I could have spent a little bit less time staring and scrolling, like doom scrolling, and I could have worked on that a little bit. Yeah, you bit. feel like, well, you deserved it. Yeah. Then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a pity yeah. party after that. So what about yeah. you, Jacob? Do you deal with nerves, like pre, pre-show pre nerves? Only if I don't know what I'm talking about, which is like you were saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's been a while um, since I've had that as far as pre-show because I do the prep work. And I do, lately I've been doing consistently enough, being up on stage enough times to where I'm, tr- I'm trying to move into um, not using my notepad. And I remember I was in Houston a couple of weeks ago doing a show and I had my, I was bringing my notepad up with me because I've just got like the names of the jokes. And I was like, so I was like, that's my list. And one of the comics goes, oh, are you working on new stuff? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and because uh, they all go up there with no notepad. But I mean, dude, they're doing over in Houston. I mean, you can you can get on the stage three, four times a night mm. over there. Like, uh, so it's insane. So like, because, you know, over here, you know, we'll get. You know, y'all, y'all are lucky. I've got two now, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. The joke for the open mics, um, and then Lake Charles, we got one for sure. So it's like, you know, really. That's also something that'll like bother me, like when people don't come out, like be consistent, but like, oh, I'm a comic, and it's like, okay, well, when's the last time you were on stage? Mm-hmm. When's the last time you wrote mm-hmm. some new material? Like, what do you do? Like, what are you doing to actively be a comic right now? Yeah. And uh, it got really put into perspective when I had these two people from Boston come down and she was like, you'll only have one open mic. And I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was like, we have 60 a week. Yeah. I know who you're talking about this, uh, that couple, what's their mm-hmm. name? Brianna and, yeah, uh, Brianna and, uh, Al. Yeah. Cause Al. they came do, um, I think they came do Lafayette mm-hmm. like that same week. Uh, they, um, I think Brianna had, or I guess they both kind of feature. I don't yeah, remember. They kind of featured the JSB mic and mm-hmm. took a bunch of headshots for a bunch of folks. And, yeah. 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 And they were both really funny. Like you could tell, like they were really, they had a lot of hours. Yes. Super hilarious. Under their belt. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's crazy. They could do like what would take us four or five years to get. They can do it in a year. Mm-hmm. Easily. Yeah. I'm I'm counting my sets right now. I'm in the low 130s of how many sets I've done in the past, I don't know, 14 months or whatever it's been since I started. And uh, when I think about like Tyler and some of the more like the Dead Cell guys, that whole Dead Cell team, uh, that's a Lafayette based team of comics that all just kind of started doing stand up around the same time when there was no Lafayette scene back in like 14, 2014, 2015. Anyway, I listened to them talk about their experience of trying to just build a scene like what you did. Mm-hmm. And like Charles just building it from scratch out of nowhere, how long it took them to get to where they are now. Just versus just compared to what we're dealing with as second year or first year comedians in the scene, it's, it's pretty good. But the idea of being able to even just go four hours away to Houston and do how many three or four sets a night that mm-hmm. so that's just like any night of the week. There's at least that many open mics going on. Yeah. Or some of some of its book shows and open mics. We we need to make a trip out there. Yeah, <laughs> we need to plan. Yeah, a few I was days. talking. Me and Jason were talking about this the other day. Uh, well, mm-hmm. I, and when we were at the mic in Lake Charles. We were talking about like we need to make a plan and try to go make a little run over there. Mm-hmm, yeah. Maybe get, get a few of us together and get like two hotel rooms or something and make a weekend out of it. Because mm-hmm, yeah. Jason's, I mean, he knows everybody. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, yeah, that would be fun. I need to get out. I think kind of where I'm at, I need to go travel and go hit like some different different markets, you know, kind of find out who to talk to. 
even if it's just to go do a few open mics or something, but kind of go to different places and get to know more people in the different scenes, you know? Right. Like, cause I've, I see people that have been doing it a long time and it's like, they know somebody from like every city, mm-hmm. you know, they, they know like all the local, they know everyone in the local scenes. Right. All around. Mm-hmm. So it's like, man, I kind of need to kind of branch out and meet some more people. Networking is really important. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, Jacob, you, you're a few years in, you see a lot of funny people and obviously being running an open mic, you see funny and people maybe who are just wasting people's time, but, but to focus on the ones that you do think are funny, even within that group, there's probably a hierarchy and there are people that are doing things that you are like, yes, that's good. Keep doing that. Uh, and they're upwardly mobile versus the ones that aren't. What do you think are some of the things that just the funny, just focusing on the people you think are funny, what Mm -hmm. are, what are the ones the ones that are doing something right, what are they doing differently than the ones that, that maybe are not having a very good approach to it? Like if you see somebody making some headway, what are they doing that's making the difference, you think? Uh, consistency. So mm-hmm. constantly getting up on stage, yeah. Um, working on new material and learning to take criticism from the audience. So learning that, hey, if this is not working and it hasn't worked for the past 50 sets <laughs> that you've done... Stop fucking doing it. <laughs> uh, which is hard sometimes because sometimes you get like a really hot crowd and like they're pretty much laughing at anything. And it's right. like, okay, if that happens every once in a while, mm-hmm. then you need to focus on God. I've written probably two hours worth of material in total that I can think off the top of my head. And I really only do like 20 minutes of it. And, but it's because that's the stuff that I know is like, that stuff's good. Like, uh, I think the past, like, three or four open mics, I had, like, a whole new, like, five or six minutes for each one. And I, I can't even remember those jokes because they're just not that well. So it's like, okay, so I need to go back and work on those to make them match the other jokes that I have to get them up to that level. Mm-hmm. But even that, so even I'm a little bit lazy in that. But if you're not doing that just, like, a little bit, like, at least trying to work on the jokes mm-hmm. and, like, taking a look back at your stuff and be like, okay, is this good or is this not? Not just, well, I think this is funny. I don't understand why you're not laughing. <laughs> I cannot stand when people mm-hmm. do that. That pisses me off the most. Right. So I'm like, dude, you're never going to be funny if you just, your ego is in the way and you just think, hey, I'm the funniest fucking thing out here. You just don't get it. Like, no, you're probably just not funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we saw, I think the other day we were joking around because one of the comics at the open mic was just like, well, fuck y'all. Y'all don't, you know, I think yeah. they didn't laugh at the joke and, and the reaction was like, well, fuck y'all then. Yeah, which doesn't really work when they're, when they're laughing at other people, you know, right. I can understand <laughs> if they're just a shitty audience because I've seen people do that before mm-hmm. where they just go up and they end up kind of taking it out on the audience. But in those cases the audience might deserve it. You know, there's all these killers coming up, giving them this great shit and they're Mm -hmm. just, just staring or whatever, or Mm -hmm. or not paying attention. But whenever everyone else is having good sets, you can't really take it out on the audience because they weren't there for your, it's your fault. Yeah. So I had an experience recently. Um, I'm trying to get to 10 minutes of of solid material so Mm -hmm. I can get booked on some showcases. When when I'm, I don't get surprised when I don't get booked on stuff. I actually get surprised when I get booked on anything because like I'm holding myself to a certain standard and I fall so short of that, of where I want to hold myself to. But I'm trying to get this 10 minutes together. And then I came up, 
I got up with something that was very ill-formed. I just kind of had some basic bullet points in my head and it was about, you know, Disney princesses, right? This keeps coming mm-hmm. up on the podcast because it's been the focus of all of my creative energy recently. Mm-hmm. People at Artmosphere laughed at this joke the first time I did it when it was kind of very loose. And then I went back a couple of weeks later and did it again with like a one more extra little joke in there. And it was even bigger. And I thought, okay, so this is something, this is where I'm going to focus. And when I get this finished, now I'll have 10 minutes. And then I've just done nothing but struggle with this material. Struggle, 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 struggle. Can't figure it out. What's, what's going on. And then this, this is the question that came up and it's not about the Disney thing. It's about, it's about joke writing. Have you ever found that somebody laughs at something when it's not very well formed and it's loose and you're just up there kind of fucking around. And mm-hmm. then when you actually start to develop it into something, people, you just can't get laughs with it anymore. Have you, have you had that experience so far? Okay. So if you have, do you attribute any of that to the idea that people enjoy watching you fuck around with the new idea, but once you've polished it up, they they have higher expectations. And so it's got to actually be good now. It can't just be funny because it's new. I guess I'm just saying, do you, how do I form this question better? Why do you think people will laugh at something when it's new? And then once you put some effort into it and try to form it into something that people lose their enthusiasm for it. Uh, I think that's putting a little too much emphasis on what the crowd's thinking about it. Cause I doubt the crowd even knows or cares. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is an internal mindset thing. Cause I've had that same thing happen mm-hmm. as well. And I remember I told a joke and like, it was getting some good laughs and I was like, okay, this could go somewhere. But I think the pressure of trying to make it compete with that first time is just, I think it creates, uh, non-realistic expectations for the joke. Mm -hmm. And then so when you add that other stuff, you're like, okay, this is how it worked the first time because I've added this other stuff. It has to be funnier. And then when it's not, you're like, fuck, what did I do wrong? Mm -hmm. And, or like, why isn't the crowd, you know, accepting it, whatever. I think it's just, I think it just comes from like that first time, like you said, you're very loose with it. So it's very natural. And I think mm-hmm. maybe because I've I've found that with some jokes and like whenever I've tried to do that, it's too it's too rigid because I'm trying to fit it into something into a mold like of it's it's already funny, but then when I add all that other stuff, it's just not. And so I think it's I think it's too much pressure, and I think it's just the fact that it's not as natural. Because I think the best material is whenever it comes natural to you. Like the jokes I do about my hair. Like I've been making jokes about my hair for a long time. So like it's just <laughs> it's just natural for me mm-hmm. to do it. And that's some of my – one of my best jokes. And so it's just – because and because the, the crowd can see that. Right. I think that's the most important thing. And I, I think that's why like finding your character, so to speak, is like very – you know, it's, it's, it's important to find because it's natural to you. When you can, when you can be into that character, because it's an amplification of yourself, mm-hmm. and the crowd knows when you're being disingenuous, and yeah. they won't get as engaged to it. So I think that's really, I think that's all it is. I think it might just, just don't don't put so much emphasis on it, man. I think yeah, I think that's that's kind of what I was getting at is this idea that when something's loose, it feels more natural, and sometimes when I put a lot of thought and effort into a joke to try to develop it into something, now it feels kind of rehearsed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then people just don't, don't respond to that as yeah, well. Yeah, because so. you, you might even be like all when a, you know when you go back, you do it and it works. You do it another time, it works, and you're real loose. But you're writing, you're rewriting and making the joke better, and then it doesn't work. 
it might not the joke might still be what you did to it might be right it might still be better but like you said you were loose before it might be a thing about you're still trying to find out like what what jacob said like he's this is kind of him and he knows how to lean into it and maybe you're just trying to figure out like this finding your voice or really who you are on stage you're trying to figure that out and then once you can get in, you can get into that. You won't have to think about that. You just tell a joke how you tell a joke at, at that certain point. And I guess when you get out there loose, you're kind of leaning into who you are because you're kind of trying to figure the joke out. So you're not thinking about how you tell a joke. You're just getting out there and you're just saying, you're just saying stuff and you're saying it the way you would say it. And that's mm. why it's working. Right. Right. Yeah. You. you yeah. All, when you polish it up, you kind of get away from what would be a natural delivery for you. And now you're just doing Yeah, because now, now you're, you're rehearsing it and stuff. Right. And you're, you're thinking about like, that's why I've kind of gotten away from like, um, like rehearsing material. Mm -hmm. I don't really do it anymore. I'll say it and I'll keep, I'll kind of write it a few times and I'll say, I'll say it out loud a few times, like to myself. But as far as like practicing with a microphone and all this, like I used to do, I don't do that anymore. Cause I kind of feel like I tell a I tell a joke a certain way, I have a certain cadence, I talk a certain way on stage, mm-hmm. and I mean I guess I got lucky to kind of figure it out, but it's not a thing I think about. I don't mm-hmm. think about this is I think about the words of the joke, and I might think a little bit about like the inflection of how I say this line, mm-hmm. maybe depending on what the joke's about or what I'm trying to get across. But as far as like delivering material i tell jokes how i tell jokes yes yeah. it's, it's not a it just is what it is i don't think about it i contrasting our experiences a lot that that's something that i've been starting to see is that as a as a comic when you're when you're starting out which that's our audience is really just like comics that are in the earlier stages for the most part i think you're trying to learn how to write jokes but you're also kind of trying to figure out yourself. I find a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff that I bring onto the stage that's like kind of like baggage is the same baggage I'm carrying around socially. You know what I right. mean? Just like off stage, just in my personal life, like the same challenges I have up there. It's on stage, off stage. So I'm I'm trying to shed some stuff that I think is holding me back across the board uh, and learning how to to refine my. Yeah, I think skills. when you struggle, I don't think it had so much your material. Mm-hmm. I think it's that thing. You're just trying to, it's weird. You're trying to find out who you are. You know, it's, you know what you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, it's important to you. But the thing that's new is going up on stage and telling jokes to people. Mm-hmm. And then I think maybe it in your personal life, like I think maybe the reason there's a difference between me and you, I don't think you went around telling jokes as much as right. I, I did. Maybe, you know, mm-hmm. like I worked around, I worked very blue collar situations and around men all the time. And where back when, you know, guys used to run up and flick your dick and stuff like this, mm-hmm. which you're not supposed to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you actually I was, I was been telling, to, when I had been, telling been doing jokes. it to myself this yeah. whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Drew. Drew just we, looked at my cock. We've right. noticed. <laughs> but, uh, that's the real reason we don't have cameras. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think that's the main thing. I think you're having to, to figure out like 
like joke telling is more what you're trying to figure out mm-hmm. and the way that you tell a joke. Right. Which yeah. is, that's natural for people are supposed to struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Now, Jacob, that that's kind of like the, the struggle on the dark side of things, but I'm just curious from the last, over the last few years, your experience so far, what has been the most amazing, uh, just your, your funnest, best memory so far of, of doing comedy is a particular venue or particular joke that you like telling the most, some weird scenario that happened at this one gig one time, like what was, what's the best memory you, you can conjure up right now? Man. Um, I find I find that I keep having sets that are my favorite set. Mm-hmm. Like I just keep like having like, oh, dude, this is my favorite set. Right. And then a few weeks later, I'm like, no, this is my favorite. <laughs> well, that's set. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I think my favorite thing about about stand up is whenever I come up with a joke that I'm like, holy shit, this is such an original thought, and that no one can really replicate this mm-hmm. like i have the jokes about my hair but like i'm sure somebody else could you know probably come up with with like the same type of joke like mm-hmm. making jokes about their hair right so it's like you know i'm not the only person who makes jokes about going bald mm-hmm. uh that's i still love those jokes because right. it's very you know personal to me whatever so but they're relatable um but i have like my joke about the song uh, a lot where i get like the crowd engagement with it and that that's one of my favorite jokes that i've ever written because it was like holy shit like it's it would be very difficult for someone to replicate that uh because it, i think it's it's just such a like a like a very niche thing to like to like find and like come up with like the rest of the extra stuff about the joke so something like that and then uh when you have someone so i have a uh I would say so writing, writing like a very unique joke, having a fantastic set with an amazing crowd, doesn't matter how big or small it is. Um, And then having telling a joke and then having someone come up to you afterwards that you like really respect. That was like, I'm jealous of that joke. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had that recently. I had told uh, I told a joke. Um, it's a joke about some, uh, lesbian cars. Like, you know, if we had the, <laughs> they showed lesbians in the movie cars and, uh, Jason came up to me and was like that, that I love that joke. That's a fantastic joke. And that I is one like, of my more favorite jokes of yours. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I do like that one a lot. Yeah. And he didn't just say that to you. I think he said that to us privately when you weren't around as well, yeah. which I think just adds that much more, um, you know, authenticity. I said a lot of him. other things too, but absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> he pro- I made him promise not to say it. <laughs> you can say it to me now. That's what we're doing right here. Uh, it's really just me calling you out, Drew Gotro. <laughs> dude, those videos for the Laugh Hard shows are so, yeah, they've been fun. They're made, dude. Oh, and yes, my wife said we can take the minivan. <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. It's so much fun. I've been. That's the kind of like creativity and shit that I love about being a comedian. Yeah, and like I've been yeah, trying so to pull fun. that out of people, and like y'all are finally doing. It. I love that. Yeah, man. I'm trying to. I was thinking about that to try to do more of that because um, I think it gets people's attention more than like we've kind of like saturated our feeds with like flyers mm-hmm. and shit. Agreed. So I think it's kind of mm-hmm. maybe make some at least for now. And then maybe if we do that too much, then it might get to they might start ignoring it too. But I want to try to do it more. I've had I've had like two ideas videos that i did want to make for this that but i didn't make it because it would i don't know how to do all the editing i would have had to yeah. basically like you talked about before i would have had to get someone to run a camera or i could have shot it on a phone but it would have had to be different 
Right. Like yeah. that would have to be, it's not something you can turn the phone on and press record and then stop when it's done. I would have had to have little clips and then mm-hmm. put them together to make one video. And I don't know how to do all that. Well, definitely hit me up next time you have an idea like that. Cause I'm all set up to do all of that stuff. So if you have, if you have, yeah, and I thought about that, but then it was hard to try to make the time right at the time too. I was, I was at the point where, I mean, I wasn't on the last podcast already as it was. So it was Mm kind of hard to start getting together to do other stuff. Yeah. But if you wanted that to be more of like an ongoing thing, like if you want to start doing videos that are a little bit more involved where you can't just, it's not just a one cut, just let me know. Cause we could, it'd be pretty easy to put that together you never know what kind of opportunities are going to come you just got to show up baby (laughs) that's it well so uh we let's get in a little bit more detail about the shows that you have that are your recurring book shows where Mm -hmm. you're looking for comics i'm sure a lot of the comics around here would like to have a a goal to shoot for Mm -hmm. so you've got the uh the brewery show Mm -hmm. uh how let's just run down the whole list why don't you I'll, i'll lean on you to to give me the info yeah, uh, so the th- three main shows that I do, I have the brewery show, which is LOL. Um, I do, and it sets anywhere from 10 minutes, 15 minutes, uh, as far as like featuring and opening acts. Uh, and then I'll normally do like a 30 minute uh, and longer headliner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll do the laugh hard shows. Those are my favorites because you get to see just a wide variety of comedians. It's just like y'all stone drunk sober, mm-hmm. uh, except no teams. So mm-hmm. it's just individual. So I'll go up there and host. Normally Chase opens. And then if somebody like brings another comic with him, I'll throw him up there, give him a little bit of time. And then, uh, but everybody gets 10 minutes and then they pick a winner at the end. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing about that one is that all of the winners, we do like the first five, we pull all the winners. And then the sixth one, we do like the second place winners. And then, so then they all compete. So they have another chance to get in, but then we do a championship round and I get an actual like trophy, like a crystal trophy and, uh, the Yippie Kaye trophy. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. Cause it's laugh hard. <laughs> so, uh, very, yeah, I did. The first one I did was like around Christmas time. So I was, I fucking love Die Hard movies. Man, if I would get that trophy. I will talk so much fucking shit. <laughs> I'm already talking shit now. <laughs> and I have no idea how it's going to turn out. Mm. And it doesn't, it's not even, it doesn't really matter. No, I'm here for it. But <laughs> even without the trophy, I'm talking shit. Now that I know there's a trophy. <laughs> there's yeah. a trophy, man. There's a trophy. Oh, yeah. Then I'll make videos with it. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Steal the trophy. It's a real WWE type shit. I like it. Yeah. So and, there's LOL mm-hmm. and then there's Laugh Hard. Now, are those both at the same venue or are those change venues? Different venues, different venues. So LOL, LOL is really cool because it's such a, it's, it's a huge outdoor space mm-hmm. um, at uh, Crying Eagle Brewery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's the most consistent show that I've done. But that's the one that has gained like the most traction and everything. Uh, and it's led me to be able to do these other shows. Mm-hmm. So very thankful for everybody over at Crying Eagle. Um and so, but so the laugh hard takes place at a place called Library Riot. Uh, Library Riot's cool because it has more of like a club vibe to it, and it's twenty one and up. And uh, but dude, the bartenders there are fantastic. They help at the door. They help promote. They're just awesome people to work with. Uh, and then the other one is uh, OB's, where we do the open mic. We just got the open mic started up. Uh, they normally have like a like on Friday nights. Normally when they're most popping. Uh, so as like an actual, you know, like bar club type scene. So we'll do, uh, like Saturday, Sunday shows, or we're just getting started into doing those, uh, again. 
but I've got uh, the Caleb guy. He came last night to Lafayette. Uh, Caleb's mm-hmm. going to be coming to OB's on Sunday, the June 25th. Okay. Uh, so excited to to have him out. Um, so just trying to build because I've done shows there before. I've done I did do roast shows there, but then uh, I ended up because football season was coming around. It was just kind of difficult to get things uh, all together with that. And I was just I was having I was struggling to kind of grow and do multiple shows in a month. But now, like I said, like we built like a, this weird like audience where it's like starting to come up. And people are consistently coming out. So it's definitely I think I'm to that point to where I can be doing multiple shows and they still be, you know, good quality shows. Right. I hate putting on something that's not good quality because I don't think it mo- for the audience. I care about the audience. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I hate it for the comedians because I want comedian as a comedian myself. I understand like I want I want you to come out. I want you to have a fantastic time. Do your material and just like bring the laughter that you want to bring to everybody. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely, definitely big. So yeah, so those three places. Okay, cool. Man, I wanted to go to that June 25th show, but that's actually my daughter's birthday. So, uh, and then I'm leaving the next day to go out of town. So I'm going to miss that one, but um, definitely looking forward to it. And I'll just say, I I went to see the the Roast of Keys at Crying Mm -hmm. Eagle. If you haven't been out there yet, what are you doing with your life? Like the food there is amazing. The Mm -hmm. venue is so cool. And then of course, you know, the, the the comedy productions that that's enough by itself now the library riot is that is that like just a, is that a club like obese or because you mentioned it's got a club vibe it's hard to tell from the name like what type of venue is that yeah dude there's no books nobody's burning any cars on the inside so it is a little bit of a uh of a misleading title uh but they have it's just like a i mean it's just it's it's a regular bar but mm-hmm. it's got like low ceilings uh, low lighting and they have a nice stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's a very simple setup, but it just makes it very easy. Yeah, it's, to, a, it's that little box kind yeah. of thing is, which, yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I say club whenever I say club, like comedy club right. is what, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very, it's very, it's very easy to recreate that kind of setup in that area. Mm-hmm. So that's what I really enjoy about the place. Okay. Um, and it's, it's, it's cool because like it's 21 and up. So it, it makes it, I think it's, I get a lot of older people that come out to those shows. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because like Crying Eagle is 18 and up and then OB is going to be 18 and up. So I think we'll definitely get younger people as well. But with that, it's more like a, like a people almost see it like, oh, it's 21 and up. So it's more of like a high class mm-hmm. venue type thing. So gotcha. it just, it just brings in different crowds. And then I think it's important to have all of those different crowds because that way I'm reaching different people. Mm-hmm. Uh so yeah, those are those are a lot of fun for sure. Now, normally what we do recently to wrap up the pod is we we dive into this hypothetical. Uh, yeah. And you have you heard this hypothetical yet? You're not going to ask me how much I would suck a dick for, no. are you? Okay, thank God. <laughs> I think that's been pretty well covered. I think so uh, too. Yeah, yeah, I mean we had we did have to hash that out before you even came on this pod. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what y'all were doing behind the house when I pulled up. But. Yeah. I still have anything on my face. No, um, oh, your beard's not. You don't have any gray in your beard. Okay, never mind. Uh. Okay, so if you're not familiar with this, basically what it is is we're trying to suss out for each guest what is something in your life that rivals comedy in terms of how important it is to you. And so this is how we uh, this is how we determine that. Uh, one day recently, I was I was just running some errands. And I was walking into a store, and it just occurred to me, oh, you know. Um, I think comedy actually has become so important to me that if I had to like give something up and giving that thing up would make everything work out for me comedically, 
uh, what would that be? And I think I asked myself, would I give up ever having sex with another person again so that everything I ever wanted to happen in comedy would come true exactly the way that I want it to? Would I make that deal with the devil? Um, and in that moment, the answer was yes. Uh, and then I realized, okay, well, that's interesting for me, but for other people, it's not always going to be that. So I want to know for you, if you were in a situation where you had to make a deal with the devil so that everything you ever wanted uh, to happen in comedy would happen for you exactly the way that you want it and giving up this thing wouldn't negatively impact it in any way. Uh, so literally, like you could be like, I want to give up the ability to speak and somehow your 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 comedy dreams would all still somehow come true. What's something that when you think about it, you're like, well, that would be a tough one to give up, you know, and it could be anything creative or, or otherwise something that you. You would ultimately give this thing up in order to for everything to work out for you comedically, but you would wrestle with it. It would be hard. It's something that's really important to you. Uh, that it wouldn't be easy mm -hmm. to give up. Does anything come to mind? Oh, yeah. I'd love to say sweets, but that's, mm -hmm. I know that they're bad for me, so it would <laughs> kind of be a plus plus. Mm -hmm. uh, but definitely working out. I know I don't look like it a little bit. I still got my little, you know, little <laughs> gut. Uh, but I, uh, I said, I, I, my dad died very young at 40 of a heart attack. And mm -hmm. so I've always, I want to be able to live long enough to, make sure my family's taken care of. And I know that I'm going to do that through comedy. Mm -hmm. uh, so not, so definitely working out and not, not being able to stay healthy while I do it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that would definitely be the hardest thing to give up. Yeah. Uh, but, but ultimately you would. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, whenever I hear about like Chrissy D has had this big, you know, transformation where he's doing intermittent fasting and he's working out all the time. And I hear some of these other guys like Rogan, when he goes and he try. I know that some of these guys are really fit and they mm -hmm. want us to help Mateo. Like some of these guys are just, obviously you look at them and they're super fit. I always wonder like, how do they stay fit when they travel so much and they have this sort of comedy lifestyle of eating super late? Yeah. Your wife's not there. Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah, to would, like rein you in or whatever. Oh, yeah. I would be drinking so much. Oh, yeah. How do they do that? Cause I'm just, I, cause I think about it now, I've got some, some free weights and in, in a building in the back there and I want to start uh, using them. Um, but I do wonder sometimes like how, how do you make that sustainable? Do you just go to hotel gyms? Well, they're rich too. Yeah. It's a lot that easier helps. for them. I that think helps. it's a lot harder in the beginning when you're poor mm. and poor, Part of your pay is like the free meal. Right. And it's at a bar or a club. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's probably, I mean, it's probably delicious, but it's also garbage usually, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would think it would be a lot easier then. But like those guys, I mean, they're rich. They're yeah. they're traveling in buses and jets and stuff. You know, they're bringing trainers with them. Yeah. Yeah. Like Bert, I'm sure. And Tom, like the, those mm. guys. Yeah. They, they talk about that openly having people there just there to help them, mm -hmm. you know, balance out the lifestyle. So, so Jacob, you're not, you don't, you made a transition in the last 12 months where you don't have like a day job or, or whatever anymore. Right. You just have mm. like a, a, a combination of different independent streams of income. Does that for you up during the day to be able to just go hit the gym whenever you want, or do you still find it to be, difficult to to fit exercise and stuff like that oh no i get it during the day because the thing is like most of the stuff i do is at night mm -hmm. so like it kind of sucks like you know friends will hit me up like oh what are we doing like like do we're all we're all going out this friday we're all doing whatever and i'm like well, i've got work like mm -hmm. i can't yeah so it's like really um 
It's like like Wednesday, like Wednesday to Thursday is like my weekend, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it does free me up. So I definitely I hit the gym uh, six days out of the week for sure. Yeah. Uh, super important to me. That's like my okay. What if what? No, it doesn't matter what I do today. I have to at least hit the gym, mm-hmm. um, and then work at night. I was talking to somebody. I can't remember whether it was it might have been us because I think you were here the other day. Uh, or somebody was telling me that they're on antidepressants and they said that they were, they, that as far as they know, studies are showing that like literally like 30 minutes of lifting or, or, or cardio a day is essentially the same benefit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you find whether you have any sort of mental health struggles or not, do you find that regular daily exercise helps you to stay in a generally good headspace? Absolutely. Yeah. Especially now I've been, I've been working out about six days a week for about three years now. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if I don't do that, then I can feel like my body starts to get sluggish. Yeah. Uh, I'm not as like quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely helps with like my mental acuity, mm-hmm. uh, just sweating it out. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I've accomplished something, which I think yeah. is, is a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, cause there's been times I remember I was talking to somebody, he was hosting a show and he was like, dude, I really don't want to finish this show. And, and in my head, I'm like, dude, if, just finish the show because it's not, if you finish it, like you've already started it. So that being said, you're going to accomplish something. And like those endorphins, so it's like a natural mm-hmm. endorphins that you're supposed to get. Mm-hmm. It's just like a healthy way of getting it. So right. I see it as something that's physically, uh, like it's physically, I have no idea what I'm trying to say here, uh, but it's, <laughs> he it's do, good. Yeah. He yeah. wouldn't do everyone else's podcast before he did ours. So now <laughs> we're getting left over. He's run out of, <laughs> so he's run out of words. Man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's challenging. That's what yeah, I'm trying to say. Like, yeah. We're the two guys at the end of the line and the gang bang or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I'm all out of nut, man. I don't have anything. I don't have anything left for y'all. Thankfully, y'all did that beforehand, as y'all stated. Uh, <laughs> I saw one of my favorite memes is uh, is this meme of this dude, and he's like hardcore making out with this girl, mm-hmm. and it says POV uh, me when I'm fourth on the train. <laughs> it just reminded me of that. Uh, <laughs> That's disgusting. It's so <laughs> gross, man. So gross. <laughs> All right, give us give us some shows. What what shows do you have to promote uh, coming up? And it could be shows that you are producer and or performing on. Uh, since a lot of comedians are going to be listening to this, the open mic at OB's <clears throat> Lake Charles on Ryan Street, right off of I ten. It's uh, we got great food there. Uh, great comedy room. Hot crowds. Hot crowds. I've been yes. having hot crowds. They've been, I've been surprised. It doesn't matter how small the crowd has been. I had Maggie out and it was Memorial Day and there was not a lot of people there. And literally people moved up to the front table to go watch. And Very it cool. was like, no matter where they're sitting, like the room's still hot. So do love that. Um, uh, yeah, sign up starts at 730. Show starts at eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, LOL shows. I have the LOL, uh, Two-year anniversary coming up, July 14th, I believe, is the date on that one. Uh, Tyler Arsenault is going to be out there. Uh, it's going to be a good show. Uh, yeah, that's all, that's all I want to plug. That's so. a don't miss for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where can we find you on socials? Uh, Jacob Gidry Standup on Instagram. Uh, Big Gidge 007 on TikTok. And then Jacob Gidry on uh, Facebook. Now, uh, let's see. 
How do you spell that TikTok handle? Oh, I don't even know, man. B-I-G-G-U-I-D-007. He's struggling through his first language right now. I have a buddy. He's got to make them spell things. Well, I think it's funny you bring up language. I have a buddy of mine who just, half the time he does not speak real English. and that's But he always calls me Big Gidge, brother. So that's where that came from. Well, Jacob Gidry, uh, thank you for coming all the way out here to this middle of nowhere recording space that we have uh, all the way from from Lake Charles to be a part of our episode today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Appreciate y'all. Really good, positive vibes. You know, I mean, I think we always have fun, but I think that you've brought like a particular brand of, of positivity and lightness to the episode today. Uh, so we appreciate that. Um, you guys uh, make it out to these shows check support these open mics uh, that's what we really need to be all be doing uh, more than anything and uh, keep plugging away at it and we'll see you next week